the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I am so excited to sit down with Sarah Chapman Becerra, who is the founder of Trailblazing in Color, an organization that is focused on supporting those who are paving the way and lifting while they climb. The organization is guided by a mission to help historically underrepresented leaders thrive in and change the systems that were not designed by them or for them. Sarah is also the host of the Trailblazing in Color podcast, and today we talked about all sorts of things from tips and tricks for strengthening your voice to how we can navigate differences more effectively to the specific challenges that the first and the onlys face and how community advisory and community support can help overcome them. We also got into Sarah's advice for her younger self and her advice that she wishes she could give herself when she was just starting out on the path to entrepreneurship. I just know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Sarah as much as I did. excited for today's episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am joined by Sarah Chapman Becerra, who is the founder of Trailblazing in Color and the host of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. Um, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Liz. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so, so, so excited to have you here. Um, before we jump in, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I would love for you to take a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes, absolutely. It's always a tough question to summarize all that you are. <laughs> and so I'm going to try my best to give you some context as to why we're having this conversation today and why I've since we initially met, have been so empowered and inspired by your work, because I think there's a lot of intersection in who we're trying to serve and the work that we're trying to do. So about a year ago, I founded Trailblazing in Color, mainly because I was surrounded by and also preceded by in in my own ancestry and those around me, people who were, were not been dealt a positive hand societally. So they're coming from historically excluded, underrepresented communities and thriving in spite of, and in spite of the systems that were designed to keep them down, and especially in spite of systems that were not designed by or for them. And so as I was progressing in my career as a people development leader, I spent a lot of time in the learning and development space and also helping 
train leaders, executives. I'm also a coach. And so I kept seeing these patterns of, of a lack of support, a lack of resources for people who are innovators in inclusion and creating these new systems and new ways of beings in our organizations, in our government, but need support themselves. And so that's how Trailblazing in Color was born. We, at Trailblazing in Color, we help unlock the potential in humans that have ever felt othered, disempowered, or caged by these systems and really focus on helping them thrive because they're doing this work every day. It's so intertwined in their identities. And a little bit more about me, I have in this role of uh, kind of figuring out what the through line is in, in myself and how I came to be in this work and passionate about this work is I found that one of my superpowers is serving as a bridge, helping people navigate differences between one another and come to a shared understanding. And I attribute that to growing up as mixed race. My father is black, my mother is white, and seeing this actually being a living bridge of two races coming together, also identifying as queer and coming out in my 30s, kind of seeing that those different normatives. So intersectionality um, and this idea of bridging gaps has been kind of the undertone of all of my work. And so to be having this conversation with you about how we do that at scale, that's why I was so pumped for us to talk today. Yay. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so mutual and honest and the admiration is so mutual as well. I absolutely love you and the work that you're doing. It's so important. Um, and it's just, it's so needed. Um, it's so exciting to see the many ways in which um, you are leading and embodying this work. And I'm so excited to talk all about it. <laughs> so, Thank you. Um, yes, of course. Um, well, the first question uh, for people who've listened to the podcast before is like, I always like to start with the biggest one. Um, but because it is the Women Changing the World podcast, if you could change one thing about the world, what would be your one thing? My one thing would be to help people become more curious and interested in other people's stories, because ultimately that's how we get to better navigating differences between one another to share this, to create a shared common vision and purpose for the world. So it's, it's about how we cultivate curiosity within ourselves and within each other to know more and therefore understand more about the human experience. Mm, yes. I, curiosity is just such a magical quality, I feel like, to bring to so much of life and the world. Mm-hmm. It's magical and it works. It really does help your mindset shift and therefore ultimately your behavior shift because you're seeing things differently, you're doing things differently, and then you're going to get different results. Mm-hmm. And wow, do we need different results? <laughs> <laughs> So I would love to hear a little bit more about, um, you know, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about the work that you're doing uh, at and through Trailblazing in Color. Um, but maybe first, would you be willing to share with us a little bit more about your journey of what inspired you to go like out on your own on your entrepreneurial adventure and, and what brought you to being here today? Yeah, 
Huh. It's so interesting how we like to think that our careers, our passions, finding our purpose is just this straight line that you start here and then you just keep building your skills and then you'll be over there. And then slowly as you start to enter the world of work and realize there's a lot of a lack of this promised meritocracy where you realize, oh, there's systems in design that are, you know, created to keep certain people down, women as being one large target audience. But I started my career working in for-profit education, and that's how I I started in um, in one department and then started to train that department. And it was through that that I kind of really got my interest grabbed to get into training, get into how do I help people learn different skills that will help them do their job better and therefore have a, a more fulfilling time at work and have a better time at work because they are armed with the skills and tools to be successful because that's what I saw as a gap in a lot of our programs. And so that really spun into, you know, how do I not only help people become better at their jobs, my career in the field of people development, learning and development has spanned the past 13 years and going from how do we give people the skills to do their work to how do we give people the skills fundamentally to show up, to do their best, to advocate for what they need, to ask for help, to create a safe environment as leaders, to ensure that everyone has equitable access to support. And so, of course, that brought me into the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, and yet, like fundamentally, because of my own intersectional identity, because of so many stories, experiences that I heard around me, I started to feel like diversity, equity, and inclusion, the way that we're talking about it, and the way that organizations are attempting to solve for it, are missing some big glaring touch points, I could say. And so one of which was going into capital D diversity without any plan or safety net for inclusion. And so especially in the past several years, we're seeing a lot of tokenism. We're seeing a lot of individuals put into roles that their team, their department, their organization doesn't reflect who they am. And so they're having to not only come in as the representative speaking on behalf of, but also navigate these systems that are still not for them. And that's really like I had been consulting for for different organizations, especially in the 14, uh, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies, where you kept seeing the same challenges over and over again. And so with that, I wanted to develop a, a set of tools and a community of support that would really help those who are coming in and being the innovators, the change makers, but are also simultaneous, simultaneously representing the communities that they're trying to better serve, but don't know how. So your work is so interconnected with your identity. It's hard to preserve that over the long time and sustain it without burning out. So that was where this idea came from and, and the work came from to move into entrepreneurship. And I'm a year in to 
full-time self-employed and you know, it's, it's so incredibly difficult to launch something, but the, if the passion is there and your purpose and mission are aligned to what you're creating, then it all falls into place. Mm. Mm-hmm. Although it doesn't always feel like it at the time. <laughs> oh, it's not feeling like it right now, but tomorrow, <laughs> every day is a new day. And, and I do feel like every day I'm getting much closer, but there are all kinds of things you couldn't have predicted or expected or planned for. And that's just life. So we learn from it and we grow from it. It's good. Totally. Totally. Well, I mean, there's so many like juicy things that you should share that I want to underline or threads I'd love to pull. I mean, I just first want to say that like I, it's, it's such hard work and it's such important work. Um, I feel like for people who are doing the work of being change agents, it it can be so all encompassing. And I, I just, yeah, again, really feel like the work that you're doing to help people navigate that in a way that's personally sustainable is so, so important because this work is so needed. Um, yeah, I just, so much of what you shared, I'm like, yeah, it really resonates. I feel like for so many of the women in my world who, um, are working so hard to create change. It's, it's a lot to ask of people. And we also like carry a lot of it, I think with us because it feels so important. Mm -hmm. And especially as women, I, I have been a part of several women led organizations, volunteer women led organizations. And it takes such a long time to, I've seen so many women and myself was, is included. It takes so much time to step away, even though your health is suffering, your other things in your life are suffering, but you feel so connected to the cause that you don't know how to operate at any other level. And yet that's where burnout happens. And that's really what trailblazing in color is all about is how do we prevent this burnout because you care and we need you. Mm-hmm. We need, we need all of us but we can't put ourselves so much at the mercy of the cause that we lose ourselves. We lose our health and, and we end up kind of taking, having to take a necessary break that feels even worse than, than before. So that's, that's what we're both trying to do. I think is, is create this sustainment plan. So it's not 100, it's not on 24 seven, you get to turn off sometimes and Mm -hmm. people don't always, say that or give you permission when they're benefiting from your work. Uh, yes, it's so real. I definitely remember having that realization early in my 20s of like, oh, wait, I'm the only person who's going to tell me to stop working. <laughs> you had that realization way earlier than I did. So props. <laughs> I also, I motherhood definitely impacted that a lot too. I had, I got pregnant with my first daughter when I was 24 and 24 gosh you don't know you're barely out of college you don't know a thing about yourself hardly and you're just into the real world and so I think a lot of that got displaced because it was them taking care of another human and and motherhood you do lose yourself in the process for a while if you're not careful yeah, so we just have to be careful. Like you, like you're thinking and, and being conscious of it is very much the first step. 
Totally. Well, and I am not a mother yet, so I can only imagine and reflect from what I've witnessed and shared with many of my friends and clients' experiences. But I, I don't know anyone yet who has like fully navigated. Like it's just, I think that's such a challenging chapter, becoming a mother, and also the best and most beautiful thing ever for so many people. But that's a lot, and at twenty-four, I can only imagine. It is. And you just, you just figure it out as you go. As with any brand new thing, you <laughs> wade through and always feel uncertain, but look to community and support to tell you you're doing a good job. Well, on the subject of community, um, I, I know community advisory and like community more broadly, like those are two big pieces of the work that you're doing. Um, and so I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about how community advisory and community can help people overcome some of the specific challenges that people who are the first and the onlys face. Yes. I feel like there are a lot of questions in that question. So I feel like maybe we should, let's start with the challenges and then we can come back to the community piece. That's perfect. That's exactly where I was going to go. Let's, let's talk about what those challenges are. So some to certain people may feel resonant and and to others, this is completely invisible. And that is privilege in and of itself. But when you are coming in as the representative, as a token, and when I say first and only, it can be a multitude of things. If really we define tokenism, which is, is kind of interwoven in this concept as any organization, department, or team that has 15% or fewer people like themselves on it. And so when you hire one single, you're, when you hire someone thinking you're going to check that diversity box, it actually is a detriment to their well-being, to their ability to stay committed and effective in their work when they are the only. And so part of that is, well, that is all system challenges, systems that have to be worked through with the hierarchies of those in charge at organizations. But until that happens, this individual needs a lot of support. And so first and onlys tend to face higher visibility, which means that they have higher or at least perceived higher, but often actually higher performance pressures. And it makes their environment as my friend Gary Ware says it makes work from takes work from a playground into a proving ground. You have to, it's just that pressure is on everyone, but it's definitely more visible for those who are underrepresented. The second piece is loneliness. You don't have anyone to go to Gallup, who is one of the leading researcher research firms in the people development space. They always do a, when they do an employee engagement survey, one of the 12 questions they ask has to do with, do you have a best friend at work? And they tried many iterations of this question and it landed on that specific verbiage because having someone at work who understands your experiences, who understands what it means to an extent to walk in your shoes to show up to work in this body every day with the the things that you carry, the identities that you hold and are proud of, but it comes with 
with certain stipulations in a lot of workplaces. And so having that person who understands uh, without that, there's a lot of loneliness and this feeling like I don't have anyone to turn to who I feel safe with necessarily. And then finally, there's the stereotypes and prejudice that, again, being the, the sole person, the sole representative, you hold on to that and you're either constantly fighting to negate those stereotypes or depending on if they're positive, because these stereotypes can still be positive lean into those stereotypes. But either way, you are molding yourself into something that's not authentic, into someone who's inauthentic. You're having to show up not as your whole self every day. So those are some of the key challenges of navigating these systems that are still trying to figure out, well, how do we bring on, how do we create these organizational cultures that are more inclusive they're going to take a while. So until then, first and only is these trailblazers need a safe space to come and say, this is really hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to navigate these power dynamics. What have you done in the past? How have you kind of leveraged others if needed to bring some of your ideas to fruition? So it's that's the part of community that we're focused on is space to be vulnerable, to say what's really happening, and then also have that peer advisory to say, well, here, you might be able to learn from what I've done. Take what's what's good and leave the rest, but here's what I'm, I've learned from, from that experience. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I think that those two things are, are can be so powerful, um, especially because I think so often in doing this change agent type of work you can't it can be so lonely um whether you're on a small team or your team of one or you're the only person like you know representing some aspect of your identity uh it can be so lonely so having other people who are either navigating similar challenges or have been there or who can even just see you and where you can fully be yourself and own the challenges I think is so important. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought up the best friend at work question. I feel like weirdly today that the day that we're talking, I've been reading a lot about this idea of having, having friends at work. Um, And especially we're still deep in pandemic life and uh, so many workplaces have shifted to remote. Um, that feels like something while there are so, so many benefits um, for so many people, especially women, to uh, remote and hybrid work environments. The best friend at work thing, I think, has been challenging for a lot of people who've started new roles at new organizations and been fully remote in this chapter. I'm curious, do you have a perspective on um for anyone listening who's like, I want a work best friend and I don't have one, <laughs> do you have any thoughts on ways to make that happen um, if you aren't necessarily going into an office every day? I think you're spot on in naming that probably from your own felt experience. I mean, mine too, as an entrepreneur, team of one, while I have, I do have a part-time support, part-time executive assistant and yet you're doing this all alone. Mm -hmm. But even in teams, in organizations post-COVID, you're right. I think we are all 
hungry for deeper connection and without the crutch of just running into each other at the water cooler or staying after for a few minutes at that team meeting without those pre-existing opportunities, we, we have to do a bit more work to cultivate it, but the payoff is so significant because fundamentally one of the biggest things that we need when it comes to successfully achieving a goal is community support, is a group of cheerleaders around us saying, yes, you can, because there are going to be many times when you do not believe it. Mm-hmm. And it'll be those those cheerleaders, that community, they're the only ones who help you make that choice to keep going. And so when it comes to kind of cultivating that, that's why I think we're seeing a lot more movements, a lot more organizations that are focused fully on cultivating what I like to call coalitions, because Mm -hmm. typically we refer to coalitions mostly in the nonprofit sector, like NGOs coming together because they have a shared vision about a social impact change they want to make. But we need coalitions for life, I think, coalitions for motherhood, all my mom friends. I need coalitions for working in diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting and how hard it is to both sell to your clients and educate them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it gives us an opportunity to be a little more refined in what type of community we need right now, because that might change over time. It should change over time because you're changing. But what will never change is the fact that you need people around you that understand you, that support you, and that you can be that for each other and help each other succeed because we all want to see each other win. Yes. uh, I love that so much. And uh, yes, I feel like especially as an entrepreneur, um, it's interesting because I feel like I went into my entrepreneurial journey shortly before COVID and was so committed to like I joined the coolest co-working space I could find and I was so excited for that community. And I mean, over the past few years, I have been lucky to build up a, a small and mighty uh, team of part-time people who who work with me on my business um, and made so many like entrepreneur friends and joined so many groups and communities. But oh my gosh, yeah, it's it can be lonely. And I love this idea of like having a coalition for all these different parts of us that need support and reinforcement. I feel like I'm definitely going to like hang up our conversation and be like, what are the names of my coalitions? <laughs> Which ones need some love? Because I think as you so astutely observed, like there's different seasons, I think when we need more support in different areas than others, depending on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looks differently for all the different hats that we wear on a daily basis. Like we are so multifaceted. We need those around us who can understand and support that and vice versa. So yeah, check in on your coalitions. How are your people doing? Mm. How, what are their big dreams? What are they excited about? Totally. Or even just like, how are their Mondays going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know one of the things that you're a big proponent of is strengthening your voice, um, which is something I'm really passionate about as well. I'm curious if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh, hey, cool. I am down to strengthen my voice and 
I have no idea where to start. Uh, where would you suge- suggest someone get started? I would suggest, and you're not going to like it, but <laughs> sit down and spend some time writing about your purpose. What's your What's your reason for putting your voice out there? What are you adding to the conversation? What are you hoping to achieve or help others achieve? So sitting down and spending some time with that question, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Start with why. <laughs> but why, <laughs> why do you want to speak more? Or why do you want to, what do you want your voice to say? But where are you going? So find some, dig into purpose there a bit more. Yes, I I could not agree more with that. I find that it's, there, I, this is not a fully formulated thought, but I feel like there's, in my brain, there's like kind of two different parts to really showing up more at whatever the next level is for you. Um, and the second part of that is like really the confidence and the practice and the content and the, <laughs> the substance and like, but also just like the doing it. Um, but the first part, which is not a step that you, I mean, you can skip it. Um, and if you do skip it, you will probably at some point have to go back and do it, which is really checking in with yourself and thinking through who you are, what you're about, why this is important to you, um, what your theory of change is, how you're contributing to it. Um, so I love that you articulated that as the starting point because yeah, I, I'm guessing whoever's listening may not want to sit down with their notebook <laughs> and do this work, or maybe very excited to sit down with their notebook and do this work. But I do think it's a really important first step. And I, I definitely skipped that work many, many times. <laughs> like, oh, totally. Why am I so exhausted and not enjoying this? I thought this was what I wanted. No. And I think that's the second piece is once you write down the why get into the who, the who of meaning who you are, because often also we start looking into, okay, now I know what I want to say. I know who I want to say it, but how do I want to say it? And we look to others examples and yet we try to mold ourselves into how others show up in that way. Like I need to be posting a video every Monday morning and giving a lecture. No, it has to be organic to you. And so for me, I, I tend to be more on the reserved side, more on the quiet side. I'm listening. I'm just observing. And then when I find a good time and I have a good reason, I'll come in, but mostly I'm just sitting back and watching. And so when it came to like my own, amplification of the things I wanted to say, the work I wanted to spread, the messages I wanted to share, I had to really sit with myself and say, Sarah, just because that's how that looks for one person doesn't mean that's how it has to look for you. And just the other day, a friend of mine who is extroverted to the nth degree gave me high praise to say, you know, Sarah, I'm always out here like saying all these, I'm so loud. And you're just kind of quiet. You're like, people, people know what you're doing, but you're not out there just like shouting from the rooftops because it's not my style. And I'm not saying that from a not promotional way. I'm just saying I'm more on the listening side of this, the spectrum. So finding my own voice has been a challenge, but I just have to find the way that it works for me. 
Well, um, I am so applauding you for that because I feel like um, as someone who's definitely more on the extrovert end of the spectrum and someone who has also spent a lot of time, I would say especially in the past few years, observing all the different ways that there are to show up and uh, share what you're up to. I do think finding the part, the way of doing it that feels truly authentic to you, it, like it's something that I find challenging. I, and I, it also is a continuous evolution of like what felt good six months ago may no longer feel good or aligned. Um, mm-hmm. And actually taking the time to be like, okay, what's not working about this? And how can I get back into alignment if this is feeling so off? And that's, that's the thing. You have permission to question it at every turn. That's mm-hmm. great. Like, just keep saying, is this working? Is it in alignment, like you said? And then figure figure out if the answer is yes or no and what needs to pivot. It's so okay to pivot. And I don't. I haven't always given myself permission. I'll just dig my heels in the ground and say, no, this is it. I'm sure it's it. But that was only because I was refusing to let go for feel fear fear of failure mm. versus because I knew it wasn't working. Uh, yes. I mean, my partner makes so much fun of me. He's like, you are someone who like when you buy a ticket and you get on the train, you are going to your final destination. It doesn't matter what the, like what the stops may be along the way. It doesn't matter like what could like, what could like nothing is like catching your attention. You are riding to, to your, you know, end destination. And it's something that I have really been trying to reevaluate about myself is like, Oh, maybe I should get off. Like maybe like if it's like a hop on hop off bus situation, like I should be getting off at more of these stops and exploring. Like I don't need to just go to the end because I bought the ticket to the end. Yeah. That's, that's a great analogy because that's why it feels so hard to let go sometimes because I see it. I, this is what I, said it was going to be so it must Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then one person says it doesn't have to be you know and then you you question everything (gasps) what that's (laughs) crazy I I'm certain it had to be and now you've just thrown my whole world upside down (laughs) totally totally and this is why we need community (laughs) yes exactly To know that we are not alone and hard to have someone point out that, like, maybe we could hop off. Let's check the facts. Yeah. (laughs) Because I know you're all up in your feelings. Let's (laughs) just look at the facts. I love it. Um, Well, I'm curious, especially since this is something that I know you equip other people to do all day and imagine that you do quite a bit of in your your own work. Um, What advice do you have for effectively navigating differences. And I guess maybe we can start in a work context, but I'm also like very open if you'd rather start in a life context. They're obviously so intricately connected. They are. So we can probably talk about both as one for now. Let's see. So the overarching idea here is that we all just need to become students of the human experience. Get to know as many humans, ask for as many stories, expose yourself to as much difference as you can to start to see, I mean, you've already started, but how many times in your life have you 
fundamentally believed one thing to be true and then had that paradigm shifted because of someone you met, because of a story you heard. And think of all the times that you haven't had that experience and yet is out there. And so there, there has to be that desire in the individual to want to change. So for organizations that are helping create more full senses of belonging at work, they have to first ignite the motivation. And I think people, organizations jump right into, let me tell you how not to do the things you've been doing. Mm -hmm. But we don't spend any time looking at, well, how can we really get to know our learners and understand what motivates them and use that to really speak their language, to bring them in versus us pushing out. And so it's this invitation to see the benefits and to actually spend some time doing, like get to know one another. Organizations also don't spend a lot of time giving people opportunities to connect as people. It's, mm. it's often about the task, getting the task done. And so how do you even start by carving out space? Don't even jump to, well, let's do a half day workshop. No, just start by having some conversations with people in different functions than you in different departments. Start to, you know, provide people tools and opportunities to learn on their own, but a choose their own adventure kind of a thing. And so you have to create the motivation to want to change and then give people really a lot of space and diversity in their choices around how they want to learn about how to change. I love that. I love the idea of figuring out kind of like what that core motivation is um, for different people and then giving people different options. Yeah. And I think coaching is such a powerful tool in all of this. I love that we're seeing more organizations invest in coaching, not only for their leaders, but often for their individual contributors. Well, I won't say often. Let's not put that there. In some <laughs> few organizations that I've seen where sometimes, they do Sometimes offer. for individual contributors. Sometimes. And it's a really powerful message that that sends to everyone in your organization because it's kind of the most customized, personalized support you can offer someone because it's all about them. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, and even with that, I feel like there's been such a shift, I want to say in the past, and you may have a better sense of this than I do, but in the past, let's say like five or so years, whereas I feel like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, coaching was like seen as something that was mostly for people who were, you know, maybe not necessarily top performers. Whereas now I feel like increasingly it's like, no, we are investing in people with like high potential um, to live to their highest potential as opposed to, oh, like you're in trouble or something's not going well. So here's a coach. Mm, that's even maybe more than I've often seen because usually in a lot of the companies I've worked with maybe 10 years ago, it was 
exclusively the executive leadership team. It wasn't always required. It should be. Um, and it, uh, it didn't really extend below that. And so now, and yeah, like you said, coaching from a manager and even ongoing feedback was really relegated to performance improvement plans. Mm -hmm. Like let's meet more often because you're not doing a very good job. So I'm showing with the investment investment of my time that I value poor performance more than I value good performance because how (laughs) do the great performers feel? They're getting no time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of organizations are challenged with too, is we've been so taught about this idea of command and control leadership. You will do it because I'm, I'm your boss, I'm your superior, and I said so to, I mean, we were, many of us, a lot of us were raised that way. And now the next generation is coming up. They're not willing to stand for it. And this generation of parents like me, we're not raising our kids that way. So mm-hmm. there's going to be even more resistance when they get into the workplace. I have an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old Oh, they're coming. They've got a lot of (laughs) thoughts (laughs) about what is okay and what is not okay. So you're going to have a whole generation of that. And so leaders need to get on board and quickly with new ways to motivate their employees. And it's with helping them find their purpose and helping them stay challenged enough to grow and move towards their goals. If you're the kind of leader that can help your people do that, you want them to leave because they're going to tell people that they know to come work for you. And yeah, it's just this long cycle of creating the future of work that really does look like an empathic, courageous, open way of being. So that's what, that's what I'm feeling excited about. (laughs) If we can, I think, I think there's a lot more people and companies who are starting to open up to this And so there's lots of work to be done and lots of opportunity if you're one that wants to support this work. Yes. Well, and I think it's something, too, where it's like uh, start now or pay for it later (laughs) in terms of of starting to to do this work to really, you know, make your organization future proof um, your organization. And you'll pay a lot. (laughs) <laughs> so it's a way cheaper now. I guarantee way it. Way cheaper. <laughs> well, on the on the topic of future proofing, I know future proofing inclusion efforts is something that you're really passionate about. Um, tell us a little bit about what that looks like and how we can do it. Yeah, tis a loaded question because future proofing means creating a plan that carries through regardless of leadership change, regardless of hierarchy and power dynamics. And it also simultaneously requires the responsiveness of knowing the environments in which you exist. And so future-proofing really is looking at those two components. One, do we have a very clear laid out strategy that if someone were to leave, that has a lot of influence and over the decision making of how this carries forward, this won't all be disrupted and go away because we see that we see that in our government every four years. All we had all these plans. Now all these plans are gone. So we need organizations to focus on plans that really 
take the same level of strategic planning as they do for uh, sales projections or accounting. Like the numbers here matter just as much as those numbers because they're going to impact those bottom line numbers. So the strategy that can carry through and be communicated from leader to leader and across the organization has to be embedded in the culture and it has to be something that won't go away with budget cuts. And then the second part is this idea of moving from training events to what I like to call learning ecosystems. So training events are these half-day workshops. You go, you rah, rah, oh, I feel so good. Mm. I made a difference. Then you go back to your desk and it all goes out the window because habit formation takes time. Seeing the world in a new way and acting accordingly takes concentrated and concerted effort. And so there has to be a a long-term strategy around cultivating the learning so that it can continue beyond just a singular event. And so I also talk a lot about creating what's called communities of practice, which is which are basically informal learning groups with people who are who have a shared interest in the topic. And from there they're all going out and they're applying it in different ways and they're coming back together and saying, hey, how'd you do that? How did it go? Maybe I'll try that next time similar to what we're creating with these coalitions. It's like, how do we uh, find passionate people to scale this work? Or just how do we create space, intentional space for informal informal learning to occur is more what it's about. Mm. Yeah, definitely. One, that's so much more, it sounds like, I feel like that's so much more sustainable in the long run um, than the, the two-hour webinar in terms of yeah. changing culture. Nobody wants a webinar. I don't want a webinar, and I'm teaching it. Just, <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, it's so hard to engage in ways that were traditionally designed for in-person and still try to apply that. Like there is, there is something to be said about still using technology and virtual spaces to cultivate connection, but we have to do it differently than, you know, we have to get creative. We have to get in touch with our senses. We have to be moving, we have to be, you know, off camera for a while, just move your body do different things. And that's how we engage learning. The learning process is when we're, we're invoking multiple senses at the same time. Hmm. That was a lot. I think I digressed, but <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I love talk it. About it all day. <laughs> Clearly. Well, and I, I mean, I could honestly ask you questions about all these things all day. Um, I also know, unfortunately I can't keep you all day. So I would love to ask you a few of my favorite kind of like quick hit questions. Um, I just like so enjoy and appreciate hearing what what other women are thinking about on some of these topics. Um, So the first one is if you could give your younger self some advice and you can totally pick an age or it can be generic younger self advice. What advice do you wish you could give or would you give to your younger self? So I would probably say to younger Sarah, middle school Sarah, probably. There will always be people 
who are judging you. It's okay. It's fine. Once we can get over that, that's when the real magic happens. Mm. No matter what, show up authentically and actually people will like that more than any other version of yourself that you've been. Shocking, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So move out of that people-pleasing knee-jerk reaction and start to figure out who you really are. Yes, it reminds me of um, this quote that I wish I could attribute. I don't remember who said it or where I read it, but like, it's not your job for everybody to like you. And if everybody likes you, you're probably not doing your job. I know. It makes so much (laughs) sense. And yet it's so hard in practice. It's so much easier said than lived. (laughs) It's so nice to be liked. I wish I didn't like it so much. Totally. Totally. Well, and I guess in a similar vein, um, you know, I'm sure that there is someone listening who is either just starting out on entrepreneurship um, or thinking about starting their own thing. Is there anything from the past year that you wish you could tell yourself, like from any moment in the past year, or even just when you were getting started, anything about um, being an entrepreneur and starting Trailblazing in Color? Find others who are at the same stage of the journey as you and find others who are a few steps ahead of you. Learn from them and vent and connect to (laughs) those that are at the same stage. And gosh, as soon as I started to do that with intention, it made a world of difference. And that may look like investing in community. So I'm a part of, have been a part of a couple of different clubs that are membership clubs where you gain access to resources, tools, and also people, network, community, and you pay to go faster. So sometimes it takes investing to find the community that's just right for you, but it's, it's very worth it. And again, it'll, it'll help you go faster. And then the quote that's been on my mind every day, speaking of inspirational quotes, because I'm launching and building a lot of things while also doing too many other things is Nelson Mandela's quote, it always seems impossible until it is done. That is my mantra daily. So (laughs) that's all we need to remind ourselves. It's going to feel impossible. It feels that way. doesn't mean it's true. Mm. Yes. Uh, I feel like that's such a powerful reminder uh, and so consistent with I feel like so many of like the other founders wisdom that's been shared on the podcast of just like believing in yourself and continuing, even if it seems like you don't quite see yet how it's all going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, in that similar vein, and you can totally point to Nelson Mandela for this as well, but uh, you may know that I love, love, love asking people on the podcast if they could write an inspirational post-it note or if they have one that they're looking at on their desks right now, I'm surrounded by like 20 um, (laughs) that you would love to share with people who are listening to the podcast. Um, What message or phrase or quote would you uh, want to offer up to this community? Hmm. Well, I will default to my desktop background, which has been my desktop background for probably more than a year this beautiful picture of different birds and the quote on the bottom says 
A bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. It's a Chinese proverb. And I think that for me, that quote is so fundamentally important in raising my voice. It's not because I have the answer. I don't claim to have any answers (laughs) with certainty. But I sing because I have something to say. And it's different than what you have to say. And we need both of us to say it so we can understand each other and spread that out. Mm, That's so beautiful. It it reminds me of uh, a yoga class I took a few years ago with Rusty Wells. I think it was right shortly before the pandemic. And I will say I'm not, I'm not a big singer or I was not a big singer in yoga class. And and when I moved to San Francisco, a lot of the yoga teachers who I was practicing with were much bigger on chanting than my yoga practice had been up to that point. And he shared in class, he was like, you could sing or you could not sing, but like, what would you think of a bird that's been giving, been given a beautiful voice that just decided not to sing or a bird that just decided not to fly? Like it's, it's up to you, but <laughs> mm, I like it. Yes. Uh, so fun. Um, well, I'm curious for people who are listening, who love what you are up to as much as I do and want to follow along with you and keep up with the work you're doing at Trailblazing in Color, where are the best places for people to do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. We are on LinkedIn uh, and I spend a lot of time on there. So I'm Sarah Chapman Becerra on LinkedIn. Let's connect. I am also on LinkedIn as Trailblazing in Color. We are our website, which is a great place to find more information about the things that we do and what we're trying to accomplish is trailblazingincolor.com. And yeah, we're on Instagram at trailblazingincolor. I'm sure at Liz, I'll share all the links with you and you'll post them, but those are the main ones. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll definitely be sure to link all of those in the show notes. And then I know we didn't get a chance to talk much about this yet, but for people who are listening and want more of you in podcast form, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Trailblazing in Color podcast before we go? Yes. Thank you for asking. We are launching on September 19th, the Trailblazing in Color podcast. And it really is an extension of our goals for community building in terms of hearing from trailblazers who are doing it every day and some of their big lessons learned that you can learn from too around sustaining this work, infusing new practices and innovative ways of thinking, and ultimately cultivating social change as a result because we're building this this greater body of knowledge and wisdom to be able to do that in different industry sectors and learn from each other's best practices. So that is what the podcast is all about. And September 19th, we will be launching. So cool. Oh my goodness. Well, um, I can't wait to listen. We can't wait to listen. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today on the Women Changing the World podcast. It's been so fun to sit down with you. You too, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T, 
or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.